0: You're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down
1: East Mike.
0: Dee, deedle, deedle, dee. Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike. Of the Down East Mike podcast. We used to say that we were world famous, but now we know otherwise. We are on the underground. We're not that well known, and we're going to keep it that way. Don't tell anybody at all about us, if you would. Please keep it under your hat. Down East Mike, episode 103, news and commentary for Friday, September 22nd, 2023. Our motto is, some of this is whimsy, some of it's true and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you so we're going to slow things down and uh we'll bring it down to a nice easy autumn pace can you know we're almost into fall aren't we here my goodness time flies didn't have much of a summer i hope you did but we didn't here in maine uh we should also say down east my podcast contains no mean words just Wholesome Goodness from Down East Maine, a historical, literary, auditory candy store. Did you hear the bells on the door when you came in? In today's episode, we have 300 people left on the wharf. That's a story from 1980. We have a mystery flu in Puerto Rico. That's from 1980. Maine's coast was declared a Disaster area by the president of President Carter in 1980. We have the main mammal of the moment, and uh, that's a good one. You're going to want to hear that. But first, let's look at our word of the day, maudlin. Uh, M A U D L I N, maudlin, it's an adjective. Uh, some of the synonyms are, are drunk enough to be emotionally silly and they used it in a sentence, a mob of maudlin rummies that sing hymns. And then another quote is, would crack open another beer and become maudlin. And then another uh, synonym of it, uh, weakly and effusively sentimental, maudlin expressions of regret. That kind of invokes an image, does it? The history of maudlin is connected both to the Bible and the bar room. The biblical Mary Magdalene is often, although some say mistakenly, identified with the weeping sinner who washed Jesus' feet with her tears to repent for her sins. This association led to the frequent depiction of Mary Magdalene as a weeping penitent, and even the name Magdalene came to suggest teary emotion to many English speakers. It was then that maudlin, an alteration of Magdalene, appeared in the English phrase maudlin drunk in the 16th century, describing a weepy, drunken state. Nowadays, maudlin is used to describe someone or something that expresses sadness or sentimentality in an exaggerated way. However, the maudlin drunk meaning was so intoxicating that it stuck around and became the drunk enough to be emotionally silly sense still in use today, as in after a few glasses of port, it became quite maudlin. Someday on the Downey's Mike podcast, I'd like to have just a crying segment, and maybe you guys could all send in a quick snippet of you doing your best crying your tears. We could have Downey's Mike's weeping hour or something because this kind of humor and somebody bawling their eyes out well you know if they're laughing if they're crying you know humor sort of way all right so we've started off on a silly note i guess we'll keep going um, our illness of the instant today movers mumbles movers mumbles uh we experienced that yesterday when you're around a bunch of movers As the day progresses and they've got those little rolling dollies that they put heavy boxes on and then they try to get them on the elevator and the wheels get stuck sideways and the elevator door tries to close and it tries to go up and down and they can't get the thing forward and then they start mumbling. And a movers mumble is something that... It's a unique form of conversation or communication that movers engage in amongst themselves when they're trying to move heavy or cumbersome objects on and off of elevators. It's almost exclusive to that environment. You do not hear movers' mumbles in the hallway or in a stairway uh, over across the room. But you do hear it when they're trying to get in the confined spaces of an elevator and it turns them into incomprehensible lunks. So if you encounter a mover in an elevator or at an elevator door and perhaps you're, you know, you're well dressed and trying to get up to your penthouse office suite, if you do encounter a mover mumbling to himself, tolerate it, move on, perhaps take the stairs and let the movers mumble their way through their illness of the instant. All right. That is the illness of the instant. No birthdays today. Nobody wanted to celebrate, I guess, even though it is Friday, 22nd of September. Let's roll it back to 1980, September 22nd. The Viking Queen cruise ship about 300 disappointed persons were left at a wharf in Bangor Sunday morning. Now, just a side note there, most people that are left at a wharf in Bangor are going to be disappointed, you know, whether they're getting on the ship or getting off. As it was Sunday morning, it was a 109-foot cruise vessel. The Viking Queen, loaded to capacity, began a four-hour motor trip to Boxport and back with 385 persons crowded onto her decks Many of them carried picnic baskets, and I'm sure they were the wicker's type with the uh, plaid interior. Passengers for the first-come, first-served cruise aboard the Portsmouth, New Hampshire-based vessel began showing up at 6 a.m. There were flocks and flocks of people. It was a huge crowd, said Mrs. Hugh Parrish of Penobscot. She, along with her crewman, husband, and first mate daughter, Molly, was helping run the vessel for its owner-captain, Arnold Whitaker. Boy, that's a captain's name. How would you not be a captain with a name like Arnold Whitaker? She said the first crowd of passengers was an orderly family group aboard a family-run boat. Sunday was the first time since 1935 that a passenger vessel has arrived in Bangor looking for customers. Now, I know back in the 2012-15 there, they were running a passenger... Uh, uh, even like a cruise ship out of uh, out of Bangor. And I, I think they eventually kind of went out of business. But, you know, they'd have have their times when they'd fill up. Uh, I don't know why people are angry. The paper said, first come, first serve, one man who failed to, to get aboard said. When the Viking Queen churned into view about 2 p.m. as it rounded in the river near Eastern Fine, Paper and Brewer, a crowd of more than 100 persons was waiting on the city wharf with the hope that Whitaker would make uh, one, more, one more run to Bucksport, which he did. With Whitaker at the wheel and his son, a 1978 graduate of Maine Maritime Academy acting as navigator, Viking Queen swung back into the channel that glittered in Sunday's bright sunshine. We're going down on a low tide right now and it's Nip and Tucky, said Whitaker, as he peered out an open wheelhouse window and his son scanned a chart of the river. I don't think a chart would be much help. You just kind of look at it and you can tell it's there's not a lot of room to navigate there and the currents are wicked fierce. Uh, talked about some wildlife there. Seagulls, cormorants, and ducks bobbed in the water all along the river and below the Frankfurt Flats seaweed and below as the Frankfurt Flats seaweed clung to the rocky shore at the St. Regis Paper Company Mill at Bucksport came into view. Earlier in the article, it was the Eastern Fine Paper. It's the same thing, isn't it? Um, let's go on to another story here. We had ancient people using antibiotics Anthropo- anthropologists have uncovered evidence that an ancient people got doses of an antibiotic about 1400 years before it came into common medical use this is a story out of amherst mass university of massachusetts at amherst they said that the antibiotic tetracycline probably grew naturally in an area of the Sudan and probably was responsible for an extremely low infectious disease rate among Nubian people living there about 1,500 years ago. Professor George Amalegos of the university's anthropology department said the discovery is important in research into the development of resistance to antibiotics which generally has been assumed to have resulted from taking modern antibiotics. The discovery was announced Sunday by the university and the National Science Foundation, who sponsored the research. The findings are detailed in a current issue of Science magazine. Uh, Evidence of the antibiotic was found in the bones from an ancient cemetery of a Sudanese family who lived on the flood plains of the Nile River from about 350 to 550 AD. Tetracycline came into common medical use in the 1950s. The original finding was made through the chance use of an ultraviolet fluorescence microscope at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Detroit. It was a graduate student. She was studying thin slices of bone and used the microscope because no other one was available. She detected a fluorescent yellow-green glow identical to the sign of tetracycline in modern bones. Isn't that something? The researchers studied enough bones to determine that a large part of the ancient population had been exposed to the antibiotic, which they think probably grew naturally from molds in mud grain bins. The mold-like bacteria strepocytes is common in the desert soil of Sudan and naturally produces tetracycline. Maybe we can make our own. Researchers used Sudanese soil to grow wheat and barley in a laboratory, and the results indicated that tetracycline probably came from wheat, barley, and millet stored in mud bins. Well, isn't that something? Uh, Also on this day in 1980, there was a mystery flu being detected in Puerto Rico. The National Center for Disease Control said Sunday, it's investigating reports of influenza in Puerto Rico caused by an unknown type of virus. Dr. Alan Kendall of the CDC's Respiratory Virology Branch Said the influenza cases on the Caribbean island had been broadly identified as an A type virus, but that it was not known if it was the A Brazil, A Bangkok, or some other type of flu. Maine should have its own flu, A Maine flu. A Maine flu would be neat. Kendall said it was unlikely that the virus had caused sporadic cases of influenza on the western coast of Puerto Rico, would turn out to be a new type of flu microbes. This preliminary evidence that some influenza has occurred in Puerto Rico, we expect it will be the H3N2. There's something comforting knowing that flu is always changing and being, and always finding different types of it. On this day in 1980, there was an editorial in the Bangor Daily News talking about Prime Minister Trudeau's attempt to get agreement on a revised constitution. That sounds like today's headline. The Canadian struggle bears both comparisons and contrasts to Americans' early bid for a framework of government acceptable to all parties. It's quite a wordy editorial. Ultimately, Canada must, if she is going to survive as a confederation of provinces, must find a way to resolve the intense polarization among the provinces. And they're having some big street rebellions up there in Canada right now. God knows that even Madison, Hamilton, and and all, after having sobered up from their time machine interlude at City Tavern uh, on September 17, 1980, and having caught the 6 o'clock news, might themselves... Have serious second thoughts about their much vaunted instrument of government. Well, let's see, we had the uh, coast is declared a disaster area. And this was uh, President Carter had declared Maine's 3,500 mile coastline a disaster area because of red tide contamination. And this had forced the state officials to close the coast to most. Shellfish harvesting. Carter's declaration means that federal unemployment money will be available to about 700 people who have been out of work because of the problem. The effective date would have been last July 1st, federal officials said, so you could roll it back. Shellfish dealers and retailers will qualify for low interest loans. While diggers and other affected workers will be eligible for up to $80 a week in special unemployment benefits. 16 people were hospitalized in Maine and Massachusetts this summer after eating contaminated shellfish from Maine. No one died, although the poisoning can prove fatal. Paralytic shellfish poisoning. Uh, we had in the, in the same article in 1980. Beaver fever. Please leave home without it. While most people have little opinion about beavers, the flat-tailed creatures have been given the dubious honor of having a disease named after them. Many area residents have probably heard of the disease known as beaver fever, but few apparently know much about it. Ironically, it turns out that that nickname is a local one and that in other areas of the country it is called by its original name, GR Roger Renfrew, a Skowhegan intern, was unknowingly confronted with an outbreak of the disease upon his arrival here one year ago this fall. He explained, people kept coming to me with complaints that really didn't fit any pattern." Finally, one woman complained of symptoms that fit those of giardiasis. After examinations, the results were positive for giardiasis on all the patients. While beaver fever has been around since at least 1681 when it was first discovered, it's only within the last decade that it has reached a higher awareness among the medical profession. The disease manifests itself in a range of from an asymptomatic state to one of low, chronic, ongoing problems, including stomach distress, dizziness, diarrhea, and a funny sensation on the tongue. I'm looking for some benefits there, and I'm not finding any. Uh, Medical research indicates that there are other carriers, including coyotes, cattle, dogs, cats, and even humans. The one-celled Organism is usually found in water supplies and is the manner in which it is most frequently passed on. Don't drink downstream from the beaver dam. Uh, See, so yeah, there's, there's, They go on a little bit more about it. Uh, Renfrew, the intern, he agreed that a low water content could play a role in the rise of beaver fever during the autumn of the year. Those beavers, huh? We'll roll it back further to this day in 1898 and some little tidbit stories. A man passing a schoolyard in Portland, Maine, the other day, was more than astonished, although 20 or more boys were at play there, to hear not a bit of noise. His first feeling was of alarm lest he suddenly had grown deaf, but he was reassured when he discovered that it was a deaf and dumb school. Other boys must wonder how a fella can have any fun under such circumstances, but the deaf boys always appear happy. Perhaps screaming is not so essential as some boys suppose. I think we've read some of this guy's writing before, and he did not like loud children. Everybody knows that Maine is a state where people live long and where nature's bounty is unstinted, but it is probable There are few instances like that reported from a Kennebec hamlet where, having no other use for the hearse, the people have allowed a farmer to use it in gathering his vegetable harvest. Hmm, I bet that was an old horse-drawn black hearse and using to pick up his vegetables. Some other tidbits, 30 degrees above zero at Rangeley one morning this week reporting that. Ice formed in the boats on the lakes. This sounds like an early fall up there. The mountain ash is in its glory. The leaves were changing. Black frosts have been reported in Westbrook and vicinity. I don't know what a black frost is. Uh, Partridges are the pièce de résistance at the dinner parties just now. Don't you have to eat like a whole bunch of partridges to make a meal. The spicy uh, the spicy aroma of new pickles mingles with the fragrance fragrance of the second crop and the ripening fruit. Uh, another tidbit, the tops of the highest hills have a chilly look some of, some of these mornings that hints of something other than heavy frost. So he's just trying to say there's snow in the mountains. We found the State Board of Trade was meeting in Brunswick way back in 1898. The question discussed at the Thursday forenoon meeting of the State Board of Trade in Brunswick was, should Maine take account of stock? And the question dealt with a recapitul- eh, recapitulation of the report of former years in the value of resources. This includes money invested by Maine people in different branches of business, whether it be in this state or out of it. In other words, it shows the balance sheet to the people. Mayor Stone of Biddeford spoke on the question of the most economic and effective method of advertising the resources of the state. This is where it gets kind of interesting. He said that he remembered that back a number of years, he thought that children were taught, when he was a boy, that the state of Maine was not a good place to live in, but they're finding out now that it's one of the best states in the Union. He said that Horace Greeley advised the boys to go west, and many of them took his advice. He said that he believes that the boys reared in Maine have made as much out of it by living in this state as those who went away. He said that nature deals somewhat in equivalence and continued, what can we bring in place of our springs, good air, and rugged hills? I deem it a misfortune to be born on the prairie. Who wants to be born on the prairie anyway? I am proud of the part that Maine has taken in shaping the course of the ship of state in the past 40 years. It is only a hundredth part of the Union in size, but it is much more than that in brains. The question of colonization was discussed by General J.L. Chamberlain. They named a bridge after him, you know, who said, I am not a member of your board of trade, but I have enjoyed hearing your speeches this forenoon. We want to keep our boys in the good old state of Maine. We want to keep up the standard of manhood and womanhood. I look upon your board of trade as the key to unlock this topic on every farm in the state. There ought to be a good, honest man with a good, noble woman by his side. This invokes images of American Gothic. What would have happened if the men who have gone from this state throughout the world had remained in it? There is no telling. He said, we must keep the source of the fountain as pure as ever and try to induce the children to remain here. 1898. The new ferry boat General Knox went into service on the Bath in Woolwich route this week. A rather unusual sight is a train load of potatoes so heavy as to take two engines to haul it. This was the case on two days recently from Blaine and Mars Hill Station. The train consisted of two engines and 30 to 45 cars all loaded with potatoes. Imagine seeing those rolling along. Out of Rockland, Maine, the house of Fred Robinson in Rockland was burned on Tuesday afternoon. Very little was saved. The barn was also ruined. Boy, this is sad. Loss is estimated at $1,000. The house was insured for $500, the barn for $300. Also of note from Rockland on this day, 1898, there were four cases of scarlet fever in the family of Robert Lanigan. Scarlet fever. Uh, from Gardner, Jacob Host, who boards at the Hotel Blanchard, South Gardner, he lost a sum of money and a watch from his room one night this week. These are the little stories that we forget, aren't they, from years and years ago. Okay, it's time for our main mammal of the moment. It is the beaver, Castor canadensis. The one that has that little virus in it. Beavers are the largest living rodents in North America, with adults averaging 40 pounds in weight and measuring more than 3 feet in length, including the tail. Beavers are the only species that can actually create its own habitat, and it does so by impounding water. I'd rather say they built dams. In doing so, the beavers are considered a keystone species, meaning their presence in nature greatly impacts other wildlife, providing quality wetland habitat for many other species of wildlife. The uh, Beaver dams increase water depth, allowing beaver to store food where it will not be frozen into ice in the winter. And they go on about beaver dams. It typically... Three to four feet high, but they may be higher. Most dams are less than 50 feet long, but they can be much longer depending on the physical aspects of the basin in which the impoundment lies. The feel and sound of flowing water stimulate beavers to build dams. However, they routinely let a leak in a dam flow freely, especially during times of high water. They may enlarge their dam to increase the impoundment and allow access to more food. They're limited by the physical characteristics of that basin and the elevation of the den floor within their lodge. And one beaver family may build and maintain one or several dams in its territory. Uh, And they go on about all the benefits. The moose use the highly nutritious emergent and submergent aquatic plants found in the deeper beaver flowages, Uh, deer as well, otters, mink, raccoons, others. A lot of benefits there of beavers. Lodges and bank dens are used for safety and as a place to rest, stay warm, give birth, and raise young. The lodges consist of a mound of branches and logs plastered with mud. One or more underwater openings lead to tunnels that meet at the center of the mound where there is a single chamber. Have you ever seen those videos of the divers that go down with video cameras and they go up inside the beaver lodge? I Sometimes when the beaver is still there, they, these guys are crazy swimming up in there. But it's fascinating to see how they have all the, the uh, in, doors in and out of their, their beaver lodges. So they talk here about what the beaver eat. The beavers have large, sharp incisors that grow continually. The animal wears them down by cutting trees, peeling bark, and feeding. Fermentation by intestinal microorganisms allows beavers to digest 30% of the cellulose they ingest. Beavers store food for the winter months by stashing stems underwater anchoring them to the bottom of the lake or stream. When ice makes it impossible to forage on land, they feed on the bark and stems in their cache and on the thick roots and stems of aquatic plants, such as pond lilies and cattails. Surviving harsh conditions also requires dense fur, a well-insulated den, and fat reserves. Based on that, I should live a long time. Beavers do not hibernate but are less active during the winter spending most of their time in the lodge or den i can just picture them in there reading the wall street journal we found an older story about beavers we, we were just uh, looking at some uh doing a little extra research there and we found that the earliest mention of the beaver in england occurring to this guy's name mr mr j harding's extinct british mammals That's some late-night reading, isn't it? In an ancient code of Welsh laws of the year 940, whereby it is provided that the sovereign is to have the worth of beavers, martins, and ermines in whatever spot they shall be killed. The latest mention of the beaver by the same authority is Bellenden's vernacular translation, Chronicles of Scotland, made in 1536, a century later, Sir R. Sybald was unable to state that the animal still survived. Within the present generation, two or three attempts have been made to reestablish the beaver in England, and this was written back uh, in like in the eighteen seventies or something. In eighteen seventy four, the Marquis of Butte turned down four in a Carefully chosen spot at Mount Stewart near Rothsay, and the next year he added seven more. For a time the colony fl- flourished, and in 1878 16 individuals were alive. They continued to increase slowly, and there seemed every hope that the experiment would succeed, but after a few years the colony began to dwindle, and in 1895 it was announced that the last of the Mount Stewart beavers was dead. It is hoped that more permanent success awaits Sir Edmund Loder's venture at Leonard's Lee in Sussex, where several years ago he turned out beavers imported direct from North America. Now, coming to you live from North America, beavers. I think today, uh, actually, they have successfully reintroduced them. They have have some new colonies there uh, in England, so interesting that that animal was extinct at one time in the old country well let's take a look at the weather forecast then we'll turn you loose to enjoy your friday for today sunny with a high near 69 calm well calm wind becoming south around five in the afternoon for tonight it'll get cloudy with a low around 47 and then for saturday we're looking at a 30 percent chance of rain after two mostly cloudy Highs only around 64. Sunday, 30% chance of showers, mostly cloudy. High of 67. Looking out ahead, kind of mixed weather. Starting to become more fall-like around here. And it's time for you to get out there and gather your nuts and your firewood if you haven't. And uh, start getting ready for what's coming your way. Well, until next time, this is Down East Mike. Wishing you and your loved ones a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. We'll see you.
1: I was shopping hard in the toy house. The clerk guessed if there was anything I was looking for I'm just an old guy looking for a way I'm just a surfer without a home And I'm looking for a way I'm looking for a way. I'm looking for a way. I'm looking for a way. I'm just a No guy looking for a way, I'm just a surfer without a home and I'm looking